Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Surprise Multiplayer Podcast. I am one of your hosts, John Ballone. In today's episode, Ozzy and I discuss the topic of hoarding. This topic is often dr- dramatized on television, but what does it actually mean to have a hoarding disorder? Are there any similarities to other afflictions like ADHD or obsessive compulsive disorder? Finally, we end this episode on a little bit of a lighter note, talking about our thoughts on relationships, how to show love, and of course, the upcoming Valentine's Day. If you're ready, we're ready. Let's roll. So today's episode bore out of something that for me, I'm doing spring cleaning a little bit early this year. And it's funny when I think of spring cleaning, I I generally think of uh, clothes and just things that I tend to, for one reason or another, want to refresh, change outfits, et cetera. And I go through this phase in my life where every maybe three or four years, I do like a real spring cleaning where I'll go through and maybe throw out things that I've been keeping around the house that I know I haven't used. And for whatever reason, I've held on to them and haven't wanted to actually uh, get rid of them. And then our, our fearless co-host who is, uh, is in Paris today and unable to join us because it's way too what, early over there. Poor him. Poor him. Yeah. Brought up the fact that millennials, which again, something I didn't identify myself as until I was told last week by you that I was That's a millennial. You. That's you. That millennials tend to hoard things like, I don't know, Apple boxes. Oh, I'm pointing at this, but the camera doesn't follow. Apple boxes, technology things, basically everything on my top shelf there. Right. And I just always thought that's because I was like a nerd and I I kept these boxes around. But then then I thought more and more about it. And like hoarding as a concept for me is... I've seen the television shows and I've, so I know I'm nowhere near as bad as what would, what could be televised even. But for some reason, especially with technology, I grew up with this mindset of like reuse, right? If you have it, don't waste it. And I would acquire things like USB cables and I'm sure you have as well throughout the years. And I, for me, it's not that USB cable. I'm just going to throw it in a box and I have this box now underneath my, my shelf here. And I don't know, I probably have cables in there from 15 years ago that I'm never going to use, but it's taken me, what, 38 years of my life or however long to realize that, you know, I should just throw it out because it's wasting space. And there's a mental thing in my brain that says like cataloging, like you have this little case and I know I have it there too. So just, I'll I'll just position you. To tell me your thoughts. But the one thing I wanted to say is that I've done this several times where I've came and, and, and thrown a bunch of things in my life out that I, I was keeping around that I know I didn't need. Nine times out of 10, very soon after, I end up having to it. buy something yeah, and I hit yeah. it. And I'm like, God damn it. I wish I would have just kept that thing that sat at the bottom of my shelf for three, four, five years because. A month later, I needed, in the case of the past week, an HDMI cable that was a certain length long. And I went through a a buying frenzy on Amazon trying to figure out the right cable to buy. But that's a whole separate story. (laughs) So my question is, what do you know about hoarding? I know I'm not like 
hoarders on the television show hoarding. But there's something like in the brain that keeps us like, we have some kind of sentimental attachment to certain types of things. So first of all, disclaimer, I do not claim to be some type of like expert or doctor or psychologist. I I looked up a lot of information about hoarding because it's actually an interesting topic and it's, I share in a lot of the same experiences you have where you keep a cable, Mm -hmm. you keep like a, an old piece of equipment. You're like, I'm going to need that someday. And I, I laugh when you said, when you throw it out, even like almost instantaneously after you throw it out, you're like, damn it, there we go. I need that HDMI cable. So I've experienced that as well, but I did do a little bit of research on hoarding and there was some interesting things. I don't think anything that, that, that I found is going to be mind blowing to you. The very first thing I took some notes on the very first thing, if you talk about a, a light definition of hoarding. A person may begin to hoard, or not definition, explanation rather. A person may begin to hoard because they believe an item they've collected or are considering collected may be valuable or useful at some point in time. Not saying full-fledged hoarding, but this may be the beginnings. <laughs> so let's dig in a little deeper. So we start looking pretty, at- Just real yeah, quick, that's a pretty like light. That's very light. That's very light. Yeah. There are a lot of other things that are going to come with, come along. A lot of other the research I'm going to relate to you that will make a little bit more of a separation between a real hoarder and right. what you're doing and what I've done at some point in time in my life. So let's talk about like signs of hoarding, right? Keeping or collecting items. We just talked about that, that may have little or no monetary value, but then we get into things like finding it hard to categorize or organize items. So you have to tell me if this is, if you, if we're checking these boxes, if you qualify okay. these. We'll do. Okay. Having difficulties making decisions. That's normal in my life. I've, but, You're right. but making decisions specifically about, let's say, should I get rid of a particular item? Absolutely. And I don't think that's what they're referring to. I think they're just, they're going, they're looking at the sort of psychological breakdown of hoarding. And I think they're broadening it. Oh, to, the personality of. The- exactly, exactly. Right. Or so yes, are, or check. These are signs of a hoarding disorder, things that may be included in a hoarding disorder, right? Keep them collecting items that may have little or no monetary value. Finding it hard to yeah. categorize or organize items. Having yeah, difficulty, ha- yeah. Having difficulty making decisions, you've already said yes. Struggling to manage everyday tasks, such as cooking, cleaning, and paying bills. Sometimes. Okay. But like that, I'm a little, for me, that's a little hard just because, well, paying bills, that's automatic nowadays, but cooking and cleaning, let's say I definitely go through like phases where it's just hard to manage. I don't want to deal with it, but then I'm on it for a long time. So I, I would, yeah. Okay. I can see myself fitting into that a little bit. And as I'm going through these, I have two more, as I'm going through these, I think they get progressively deeper More specific. Into- the hoarding disorder, right? And you're going you're to see when it comes to this one, you're going you're gonna to see what I mean. Oh. Becoming attached to items and refusing to let anyone touch or borrow them. Oh, that's not me. That's what I'm saying. Like I, now we're getting. There's, there's very few things in my life that I'm attached to that I wouldn't want someone to borrow. 
I almost got myself in trouble because I was about to say my wife jokingly, but then that could be on several different levels messed up. And I'm sure we could start a whole war thing on Twitter. But uh, yeah, no, that one definitely is not me. I didn't think so. I assume uh, these last two are probably not you from what I know of you. And the last one is having poor relationships with family or friends. I don't, I would say. No. So I, I definitely think uh, no for both of those. But my question would be, and, and, I, and maybe you have the answer, for each of those specific ones, is it a gradient? That's an interesting question because the other thing I learned is that hoarding comes in five levels. There's five phases or levels. Ooh. They're actually levels, not phases. There's levels five of hell. Levels. Yeah, there's five <laughs> levels of hoarding. So let's jump into that because th those are really interesting. And from level one is the lightest level. And then it goes to level five, which is like watching the TV shows. So level one is like the least severe, but it goes beyond like simple collecting objects and belongings. There, so some of the light sort of symptoms is light clutter, no noticeable odors. Now that's because they're referencing like a level five when you have a stage five hoarder where it's bad. And when we get into, when we get into the high levels, you'll see what I'm talking about. All doorways and staircases are accessible, right? So <laughs> hold on one second. I'm a little scared. Because there are parts of my house. <laughs> oh, boy. Oh, boy. And it's, and it's been like that for definitely several months. Let's keep going. We, we might have to record the second half of this with you laying on a couch. Like a video? No, you laying on a couch. This is going to be like a therapy session. <laughs> no more than three areas with managed animal waste throughout the home. Let's unpack that for a second. No more than three. <laughs> this is level one. This is level one. You got to give me a minute. And let's see. Let's just say this. I'm, I think for, for you, I mean, it's the shock of this. I'm not trying to make light yeah, of anybody's disorder. Yeah, I'm not laughing at the, I'm sorry. No. no, it's just that what caught me off card is how Level one has these very, they're almost, they're obviously comparing level one to level five, right? Yeah, it's like the and, Richter scale, right? Like, right. And they're throwing like all the things that are on the higher levels. They're like, okay, you don't have like areas of the house that are managed with animal waste. So can you just explain that one real quick when you say it again, because I want to make sure I understand it. Yeah. And I, I can understand as much as the text gives us. <laughs> No more than three areas with managed animal waste throughout the house. Now, I don't know what managed means. What I can assume is that like the animal litter? waste, yeah, the animal waste has maybe been collected and it's like just in a certain spot. But managed sounds house. like it's, but managed sound like it sounds like it's, so it's the other thing. It's my backyard is, I, I haven't gone through the dog scooper yet. So now, pardon me, but I know that's not this. So well, we managed so. to, I hope so. Managed to me sounds like, for me, it sounds like a positive thing, like a kitty litter box in a, a linen, or in a linen closet, but in a washing room or something. That's how, I that's how I originally read it, but now I'm rereading it. And I'm thinking that the hoarder 
maybe not throwing out the animal waste and it's just collecting it up together and organizing it. I think like I'm that's if that's level one, that's bad. Right. Like okay. we're going to read on, but level whoop, like that's a tough start. <laughs> and then this quickly escalates like to level two <laughs> quickly escalate. All right. I'm going to, I'm going to read this blurb. Okay. I got to try not to laugh. It, yeah. The title is noticeable object collection and embarrassment with visitors. When a hoarder has reached level two, they begin avoiding visitors due to embarrassment, stress, or anxiety regarding their hoarding items. This level is when typical hoarding characteristics start to become noticeable. Signs that a hoarder has reached level two include at least one blocked exit. So this is bad now. Like, like now so it says like, exit. It says exit. Yeah. Yeah. I'm good. One major appliance is out of order. I don't. Okay. And and what I think because I I so I'm not in this description. But oh, I like they're putting boxes in the oven. Exactly. That's what I. <laughs> that's what I read. It's not in this description, but I did read someplace else when I was doing research that sometimes like the appliance will be blocked or they'll use the appliance right. to store, store okay. items. The ventilation system has been malfunctioning for at least, man, this is very, this is very specific. Again, I, I need not. to change my, it reminds me, I, I need to change my filters. I got to do that after this podcast. Keep going. Again, I'm not, I just want our listeners to understand. I'm not laughing at the disorder. It's just the way this is constructed. Like I said, level one is almost like they took the opposite of the higher level and said, okay, you don't have, you're not doing this. And now it gets really specific. The ventilation system has been malfunctioning for at least six months, creating rooms with no cooling or heating due to clutter. That is oh, very, okay. So, it's, okay. That, so the way that I hear that is that someone has newspapers, boxes, detritus yeah. covering floor vents and, and, that is or air intake. Yes. That is supply. normal, except the part that got me was for at least six months. Like they're very specific with that. Like they said, all right, listen, at five, you're good, uh, but okay. you go six months, you're level two. Yeah. Okay. That, that is okay. Clutter has accumulated in walkways and is noticeably excessive in one or more rooms. Yeah. There's definitely some of that in my house. And. The last one is there's limited housekeeping due to inaccessibility and light mildew exists in bathrooms or kitchens. Oh, not me. Yeah. yeah. All right. On to level three. Odors, poor hygiene, and narrowed hallways. Okay. At this level, That's three. Hoarders, yeah, this is level three. There's five. At this level, hoarders typically have very poor personal hygiene and are suffering from emotional distress. These two situations often contribute to weight control issues. At level three hoarder, a level three hoarder will become extremely defensive of their living situation when confronted and often rationalizes their living situation because they cannot see the dangers present within their home. Level three hoarding can include the following. Clutter and household items accumulating outside of the home. So now it's move from inside to outside of the home. Two or more household appliances have been in disrepair for six months. Again, with the specificity. Now you're moved on to two appliances. One area of the home shows 
light structural damage. Again, I don't know what that means. What does that mean? Structural damage, why? Because of the amount of stuff, the stairs are broken. I don't You'd have to, you'd have to put a lot of shit. Exactly. That's my point. Is like it a, a floor is, joist? Is it a door that's broken? Is it like, yeah, like you, you're jamming stuff in the spindles? I don't know. I don't get it. <laughs> I don't know. Did you bust out the drywall because you're things? In the that's your fiberglass insulation now. The, <laughs> the old newspapers you're collecting. There is, and the, this level three has a lot more, a few more bullet points. Actually, it's, it's almost double the bullet points. There is an excessive number of pets. Okay. Right. Cat ladies. Living, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Living spaces have been neglected and cannot be tidied up. Okay. Got it. Visible rodent, flea, or spider infestation. Again, <laughs> sounds gross, but it's, I think, expected. Makes sense. Expected. Yeah. Narrowed hallways, at least one unusable bedroom or bathroom. And I think that's probably because mm -hmm. they're using the room now to accumulate stuff. Accumulation of excessive dust and dirty clothing. Extremely soiled flooring. Mm -hmm. Noticeable odors exist in the home. Like those are not, this one actually. Doesn't it sound like, like, when you first read it, there's definitely, it's, there's no bombs in that one that. Right. See, I was just going to say, it seemed a lot less controversial than level one and two. Yeah. Right. Now, level four. It's titled Structural Damage, Sewage Issues, and Unusable Rooms. Individuals that have reached this level of hoarding often go weeks without bathing. They usually are suffering from mental health crisis and cannot see that their situation is dangerous or unsanitary. Signs that level four hoarding is occurring are noticeable mold and mildew throughout the home, structural damage to the home that's at least six months old, sewage issues, at least three areas with excessive and aging animal waste. It's interesting, three areas. Again, very specific. Multiple rooms have become unusable, spoiled and rotting food in kitchen areas, fleas, lice, bed bugs, and other major pest infestations. More than one exit is blocked. So now we know that, excuse me, I think now we can make the assumption that the appliances, bedroom and bathroom that's out of order, basically it's blocked. A, that's all because of the accumulation of all the yeah. shit. It's just being yeah. blocked, right? Level five, this is the last level. It's titled Fire Hazards, No Electricity or Running Water, and Accumulated Human Feces. This is where it gets bad, I guess. <laughs> this is, as the other ones were bad, but this is the most severe type of hoarding, and individuals at this level may not be able to live in their own home, nor can their home be salvaged for future habitation. Ooh. Oh, wow. That's bad. Human and animal waste is often collected in containers and cannot be disposed of down the toilet, yet remain in and around the home. Level five hoarding situations often meet the following criteria. Severe structural damage to the home. Now, I got to imagine when they say structural damage, they're probably talking about no running water, sewage backups, like that. That's, that's kind of what, that's, that's what I ha I'm thinking is that there's just been neglect, general right. neglect in the house or maybe neglect for something that, that, has just gotten out of control. I don't know. 
maybe there's a flood a few weeks back and now they're months back and now there's something wrong with the basement, actual basement slab right. because their water sat down there for too long. This next one, you hit this one on the head before, broken or crumbling walls, right? So I think it's either the amount of stuff that they've collected has done damage to the walls or I don't know, maybe they've even damaged the walls. I don't know. To like store stuff within the walls. If you have like sheetrock in drywall. Major fire hazards throughout the home, such as paper accumulation around open flames. Okay, that's expected. No electricity or running water due to neglect. Okay. Clutter on every surface, hallway, and floor space. A noticeable accumulation of human and animal feces. Most spaces in the home are inaccessible. And that, that is it for the five stages. One of the, the first thing is I think that they start off pretty strong as an yeah. indicator to, oh, yeah. to let people like me know that this is a real disorder and it's not just because you're, you like keeping boxes of fancy shit that you bought. But the interesting thing, or, or, or at least my, my question here is now, it, this is a progressive disease, right? And although the, sometimes the way it reads is that it, it, it deteriorates pretty fast. It almost, it almost sounds like that the way it's a six months or at least this amount of time. I, right. I feel like it would be very hard to do something like that to a house, a modern house, right? Or even a building like you live in six months. So everything that I've ever heard about hoarding is it's generally over several years. Yep. And I think the, so to your point, I think the time frames are definitely put there to help those who may think they have some sort of light disorder like yourself, mm -hmm. right? Because you're collecting items and not throwing them out. And they're like, listen, to your point, hey, six months at least, three months <laughs> at least. So I, I think it's helping those folks who think they may qualify. But to your point, it's a progressing disorder. And if you start light, it can become worse over time. And I don't know how you're, besides understanding the symptoms and understanding the disorder, how else do you detect and how else do you catch yourself before you get to like level one or two or start to get, it starts to get worse. Now, I think and this is just from seeing, I've never really watched like one of those episodes of like hoarders or I think I've seen it in passing, but for some reason in my head, I, I tend to remember that anytime I've seen a hoarder, they live alone, never really live with someone else. I agree. But, I think uh, everything I've ever seen, they've always been alone or if there uh, is a family member, it's generally a family member does not live with them. So it, the reason why I brought that up is because I think in my head, it would be harder to become a hoarder if you lived with someone, right? Because if that person doesn't have the same traits of the disorder and is not at the mm -hmm. same stage that you're at, that person is not going to allow it to get to that point. Or, or, or gonna really, that's yeah. true too. That's true too. Or yeah. identify it and, and maybe hope to get the other person some help before it gets to, to a really bad level. 
So I, as, and I was doing the research, I was like, man, this is all like really interesting stuff. Now, some other information I find out, like hoarding disorder, like the actual disorder, not like right. you and me collecting so my cables. Is that a, is that like the hoarding disorder, is that classified as some kind of mental health? So it's like in the family of like depression or something like that, or? That's it. That's actually the exact point I was going to get to. It's associated with other mental health conditions. And some of those are like anxiety, ADHD, depression, dementia, OCD, obsessive compulsive personality disorder, and schizophrenia. Also, it could be associated with a lack of executive function, executive functioning ability. So inability to pay attention, make decisions, categorize things. And those things are often linked to ADHD. That's an interesting bit, right? Because it's very interesting. Yeah. Cause I have ADHD and the, maybe the, like you said, that they don't want to, the reluctance to throw things out. I don't want to throw out the HDMI cable because they think I'm going to need it. Maybe that's a symptom or a result of the ADHD, mm -hmm. but it just would never materialize into full hoarding disorder. So those things are definitely linked. Again, these are just theories. So one of I've, I have ADHD or at least that's, that's what the doctor said, right? You know, I, I don't even know how they test for it, but one of the, the things that's interesting is it, about that in particular reluctance to throw something out or maybe depart with an item that has apparently some kind of significance to me often it's not that I, I like i need this item and no one else can touch it or it's so important to me but mostly it's because i i don't want to dedicate the time to actually clean it up or get rid of it and what i've been doing and learning over the last let's call it six months is that for me anxiety, OCD, ADD, whatever you want to call it. Like I, it's a lot harder if I know something is in my house and out of order than if I just get rid of it out of the house, totally throw it out. If I know I'm not going to use it. And for me, out of sight, out of mind, uh, not really. I always seem to have some type of anxiety. Oh, cause I'll see it or I'll see something. I'm like, that thing's a mess. I really need to clean it up. You're such a slob, blah, blah, blah. But I don't have the time to do it now. I got to work. If I were just throw it out, take the 15 minutes, throw it in the trash or do whatever I need to do, or put it in a different place, I would save myself on so much anxiety. Yeah, problem solved. Or, yeah. But getting to the point of actually just doing it, for me, that's the hard part. But you open this by saying you do spring cleaning every year. Yeah, because, so that's a great point because I get, because I, there's a certain point in my, it's weird. I have 80, like starting things is very difficult, but then also I get to a point where it's almost like little pinpricks and it's a, something's not straightened up or something's wrong in the house. And I just, I switch flips. I'm like, I need to get it done. And I just go into almost like mini OCD mode. I'll clean a bunch of stuff in the house to a certain threshold and then I'll stop. Yep. And I never do it completely. I never finish the, the mission. Right. My, my wife is the same way and I'm the same way. The only difference between my wife and I is that 
she'll turn to me and be like, man, why did you leave this on a table? I'm like, leave stuff on a table all the time. But then you do this, like, it's usually during the weekend, Saturday or Sunday, like mad dash, like all of a sudden she notices something on a table and then she's cleaning the windows because the windows are a little bit dirty or Mm -hmm. wiping the walls down. I'll do the same thing. Yeah. And I, I did. So I will do that. Not as, not as often as she does, but what I will do is I will be okay with a, an item. If I leave like a pair of sneakers in the living room, I'll be okay with that. Like there a day or two, but then if it's the sneakers and then something's on the table, like you said, and then something else, and I'm like, all right. It's just no, like no, these no. little. Yeah. We have to get, we have to clean this up. So I think it is with me, definitely a result of the ADC. It mm-hmm. is definitely something, and to be honest, since I've been taking the medication, I feel like I've gotten better at that. Like I don't. So what part of it's better? I don't leave things around the way I used to. So I'm not. I haven't fully gone in the other direction. I'm not like, oh, I can't leave this chapstick on the table. You don't um, like, but you, you also don't go label things, right? Like you're not. I'm not like that. But I will, like the amount of time I will leave something out and the amount of things, like before, I'm just going to make up a number. If three things were like, I left something on the table, left my sneakers in the living room, and then left one other thing like a sweatshirt or something on a chair. That was my breaking point. Now my breaking point is not as many things. It could be like one thing, like just the sneakers on the floor. And I'm mm. like, okay, we need to pick this up. So it's changed a little bit. I've reeled it in a little bit. So let me ask you a different question. Cause I think it's going to get at something I, I've noticed about myself. Um, I'm not going to say what I noticed about myself, but I want to see if it's similar. You were in the Air Force, right? Started your career. And I'm assuming I've never been in the services, but I know it's often like you end up having to do a lot of cleaning or a lot of regular tasks, upkeep, both on your, yourself, your personal items, your space around you, your workspace, et cetera. And that's, that becomes part of a routine. And, and, and knowing you, I'm, I'm fairly certain you probably excelled at that. How is it different though, like with that part of your life? Because it's obviously similar things with just your living space and now it's different later in life or it's different for this particular part. That's actually a great question. It's great because for me, I did excel at that. I excelled at that because hey, I'm a rule follower. I used to be much more of a rule follower. Also excelled at that because I was very motivated and very competitive, right? So I was wanted to try to be the best at something. So a small example of that, towards the tail end of my Air Force career, I joined the Honor Guard. We performed at, we did the right whole rifle ceremony at funerals, at special mm-hmm. events and ceremonies, fold the flag, all that good stuff. And you, your uniform had to be pressed and like really sharp. Like when it's iron, it's starched and good right. seams. But like I went like 
overboard. I had the, the dry cleaners removed. Like I had a couple of uniforms that were just for the honor guard. I didn't take my everyday uniform. I bought a new set. Those were not to be worn anywhere but the honor guard. I had the buttons removed off of the shirt. To, to get so the press. So you can press it and not have the, the button right. sort of impression over the shirt. The, the pockets were so down, so it wouldn't right. lip up. I, I took it seriously. Like I went full bore with it. So now here I am, I get out. Some of that has carried over, but not all of it has carried over, right? I've, because I, that wasn't me before I got in the military. But like I said, I was a rule follower and I wanted to try to be the best. The funny things that have carried over is I'm a morning person now. Mm -hmm. And I believe that is because of my time in the military. Because I, I wasn't mean, a morning person. You almost person. have to be. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But it really, and that's just one example, but it really ingrained that in me. And... That's something that I've carried on and maybe because part of me enjoyed that and I benefit from that. The other stuff, I don't, there's no benefit to it. Like I, I can benefit from it, but if I feel like doing it, I do it. If I feel like being like super neat and tidy, I, I'm super neat and tidy. If I don't, and I don't. Part of it all may also may be me rebelling against that sort of being forced to be super neat and tidy for four years. So now I guess you have to pick and choose when I'm neat and tidy, when I'm not. The reason I asked is that like, for me, it seems almost, we talked about this when we were talking about introvert several episodes ago. It's almost like there's a, there's an energy meter for me. And the reason I say that in the way you said that now that you're taking some medication, that threshold's a lot lower for you. Yeah. Instead of three pieces of clothes, it's one or two. And it's the same thing now, although slightly, definitely different me with kids. So like before I'm not going to ever say that I was neat and tidy, but like I would, my threshold was a lot lower and yes, there was clutter and mess, but I got to a certain point and I clean everything up my desk here. For example, the other day I had to clean a bunch of stuff up. It's, it's nowhere near neat and tidy, but because my kids throw everything everywhere and are entirely messed up, it takes a lot for me to get that those prickly little things again, just because everything's broken, messed up everywhere. And I feel like they're slowly, or maybe I'm just drained by the end of the day because of work and things like that, that I, I don't pay those kind of things any mind. But the next morning I'm usually awake and refreshed and I'm like, Hey, I got 15 minutes before I got to get the kid out to preschool. I'm going to go and I'm going to really quickly clean the house, straighten some things up, not, not do crazy stuff, but then also like throw the dishes in the wash or whatever, do that really quick. Yeah. And it's odd because it definitely is like a state of mind for me. Exhausted at the end of the day. I just want to shut off. I don't want to worry about it. And then the next morning comes in that, that, that kicks back in. It's funny, the same living in an apartment, right? So recording this podcast, it's like, if I turn the camera around, you're going to see I've, Big screen here, laptop on a stand, <laughs> keyboard, mic, light. Those things are all like at my dining room table. So I have to break yeah. all this stuff down after every recording and put it away and then set it back up. So usually when we get done here, we've done, we're done recording, everything stays. I'm like, mm -hmm. I'm tired. Just going to bed. It's going to crash. 
But then the next morning I'm up and it's only been one time where I didn't break it down the next morning yeah. and I didn't break it down. And when I got home from work, I was like, oh man, I got to break this stuff down. Like, it, and that was twofold. That was <clears throat> me just feeling like this can't just stay here. Right. It's had this overwhelming desire to break it down. And then the other part of it is just consideration for my wife. Like, I know she doesn't want to come home the next day and see podcast recording stuff all on a dining room table. But I think that's a smaller percentage of it than just the urge, oh, this has to go. But I don't do it the night of because like you said, you're tired and you don't prioritize it because you're tired and your energy just, you don't have any, the little energy you may have. Is going to go into something else. Right. Right. Yeah. And, and sometimes that something else might not be going to sleep, but it's something it's, you know what? I just need to, I think we've talked about Jeremy, how he falls asleep and reading or listening to an audio book or podcast, something else. The little energy you have left, you want to say, take it for myself, do what I need to do as part of my, my, my evening routine and finish it up. Yep. So the, the one last little bit of of research that I dug up, which I didn't touch on before was they identify people who may be more vulnerable to hoarding. And it's interesting that the first bullet point is people that live alone. I didn't even, when I brought up that point, I did not remember that was in the, the notes that yeah. I took. People who grew up in a disorganized space. That's okay. yeah, that's yeah. not shocking. People who had a difficult or deprived childhood. I believe that. So that one, I mean, that sure. That's believable also, but I think that one goes a little bit, I guess, deeper into, into the sort of psycho psychological effects. For sure. I, and, uh, and obviously I could, don't want to even, I don't want to diagnose, but there, there's obviously other factors probably that go into that person's life as well. We talked oh, about yeah. ADHD things, but mental conditions. You mentioned schizophrenia. Yeah, I see that. Yeah, there's definitely a lot of these things are, that's the thing that became apparent to me is that when I list, when I read off the list of the other me mental health conditions, it is really probably much thinner line than we imagine between Anxiety, ADHD, hoarding disorder, depression, dementia, OCD. It probably doesn't take, if you're in the sort of arena of mm -hmm. these conditions, it probably doesn't take that much to be pushed into fully into one of those, one of those areas, mm -hmm. full on anxiety or depression or dementia, whatever it is. Well, dementia is, I think a little bit different. I think dementia is. I don't, I think, there, I don't know. I know, I know there's know different forms of it too. Yeah. I don't know that it's necessarily like a behavioral disorder. I think it's more of a, a disease, like a physical disease, more of a disease than a disorder. But I think the difference between that one and the other ones that someone with dementia might be more prone to hoarding versus Versus I think the anxiety, the ADC, the depression, mm -hmm. OCD, I think those things all live in like a family of things. And like right. I said, there's very little difference between those things and you can be easily be pushed from one to the other. I think I don't know. Yeah. I, to me, that that's interesting because a lot of people I know that suffer from depression or anxiety or 
some of these others. I imagine I haven't I haven't looked at any of the stats, but just from my social circle, my, my network, there are definitely overlaps with people with each of those. More than I would say more overlaps than not. Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. I, I think I share the same experience with the people that I know that have suffered from some of these things. The other one, I think that's probably a little bit of an exception. That's, I think two of these are in their own bucket, which is dementia and schizophrenia. And I think the other ones are just very tightly coupled in their own bucket. So, yeah. So d- dementia is an interesting one because again, and uh, d- dementia to me, and I'm not sure as I'm not a doctor, but it's almost like a class in and of itself, right? Like mental health and dementia is separate because wouldn't things like, like trauma or PTSD could have dementia qualities to some of the symptoms I thought, but maybe dementia itself that when it's described is more of a progressive thing or something that starts, but then generally dementia gets worse. It's not a stable state. Yeah. I, yes, absolutely that I know of it. But I also think that dementia is a, is one of those things that you can be predisposed to. You can have a gene for it that gets passed down. Um, it could be hereditary, passed down through your family. Actually, my wife watched a very interesting show on Netflix. Oh my God, Chris Hemsworth. Okay. Yeah. And he took a test that identified that he was twice as likely, he had the gene for dementia or Alzheimer's, mm-hmm. twice as likely to develop it because both of his parents had the- carried the gene. So the show was based on him going to experts and changing his lifestyle. He, he paused his acting career for a while, changing his lifestyle to try to stave off the dementia as long as possible. And the studies show that physical activity, Mm -hmm. um, pushing yourself Mm -hmm. to do things outside of like your comfort zone will help stave off the dementia, using your brain more, uh, being more physically active, using your brain more, challenging yourself both physically and, and mentally. So the show is based on that. Like he, every episode is like a different challenge he does. One thing he like had to, it was like a tram or something that was stopped and they hung a rope from it and he had to load himself on a rope and had to climb up the rope. Oh, wow. And it was a long, it was a long rope. And Chris Hanforth is very fit, dude. He's very fit, but he had to work out. And practice this. And he had a coach that kind of, you know, coached him through it in order for him to get through it. So he did these sort of physical challenges, these mental challenges, which is a very, it was a very interesting show, but that's how I know that the whole dementia and, and Alzheimer thing is something that does get passed down. It's genetic, hereditary. Um, I'm sure there are some environmental maybe conditions that can Mm -hmm. probably either cause you to develop it or exasperate it or bring it on faster, but it's yeah, definitely physical trauma, right? So we know that you could, uh, CTEs inside of, 
you know, NFL and other sports yep. have, have caused this. Car crashes, I'm sure. But what's interesting, you mentioned some other trigger, right? And, and I know this from personal experience that like there tends to be the, there tends to be like this just, I don't, I don't know what call it. I don't know if it's a trigger, but just rapid, like a, a point of inflection where there's just a rapid decline and an expert, but I've seen it happen. And it's, so it's difficult, especially, and I could see where back to the original topic, how at least six months, right. maybe that rapid decline or, or that point of inflection is something that, that with all of these kind of things in, in that family of disorders, bipolar and whatnot tend to, there tends to be a point where it's just and with depression, you can spiral with bipolar, you can spiral like that. You just get to a point where you need to, a pressure valve or something needs to release. There's a trigger that all, all becomes an accelerator. And all yeah. of a sudden you're like full fledged. Yeah. That's the scary part, right? Because as much as I may sit here and think that I'm somewhat, I've my issues just like anybody else, but I count my blessings that there are people that are much worse off than I am, but you also have to be cognizant of the fact that can change at any moment. Like we were talking about triggers and accelerators. It could be something really traumatic that all of a sudden that thing that was dormant inside and lingering comes out and, and is you're in a full fledged sort of disorder or something. Yeah. Yeah. And obviously anything, um, medical in nature, it tends to, those things happen. But one of the things in, in particular that goes to the Chris Hemsworth, or at least that mental and uh, physical capacity part, often when people ret finally retire, there tends to, there's a lot of them just tends to, things tend to decline quickly. Almost it's because you're not, I, I don't exercise really at all. I need to, I keep saying that. That's a, I think we need to do a whole topic on that why I can't just get my ass out of this damn chair. But when you stop exercising your mental capacity or for one reason or another, you, you're not, you tend to just atrophy. That's why yeah, I, I think I said it on one of the other episodes. I have no plans on retiring. And what's that's the why. point? What does I, retiring what... even mean? And I can digress too much. Like retiring sounds good in nature. And it's because it's, you worked your whole life. You want to enjoy what you have left et cetera, et cetera. You want to, whatever you should be doing that way. And I hope most people do, but you shouldn't be in the now and look towards 30, 40 years or however long in the future. That's going to be when I enjoy. <laughs> Fix that's, what you have now. <laughs> that's exactly how I'm wired, dude. And hot, listen, this is going to be a little bit of a hot take, but yeah, I don't believe in Valentine's day. It's a made up holiday. It's a very commercial holiday. It, everything is so goddamn expensive. I agree. I don't believe in it. I don't believe in it. And I, my, my stance is, listen, celebrate the love every day. And listen, that's just a little bit tongue in cheek. Nobody's celebrating the love every damn day, but periodically Sheen throughout. Here we go. <laughs> Back to Charlie Sheen. All right. I, I, if I would have bet money on it, I would not have guessed that Charlie Sheen was going to come up again today. <laughs> um, but yeah, I don't mean every day. That's, that's a little bit silly. But being live it like that. Being, live yeah, your way. Live it your like life. that. Yeah, absolutely. So I agree with 
what you said. I'm not going to do that. I want to disagree with your eyes, but I can't. But the one thing I will say, I think, I do think Valentine's is made up holiday. People want to sell shit to us. For me, it's a good, I use it as a do something that I normally wouldn't do for my partner. Not because I'm only doing it once a year, but because I know I'm going to, because I know that like it, it should be something, something out of the ordinary. Like make it, make it like spice it up or whatever. And a few years ago, like my wife and I, we, right after COVID, we went and did like a, like a long weekend at a, at a spa that's an hour away yeah. from here. Yeah. And it's not that we normally wouldn't do that, but for us, it's, we would be like, oh, you know what? We're, we're, we don't need that break. We're just going to wait another three, four months and take the kids or our family or whatever to like on a vacation or something to the shore. But we used it as a, as a stone or something in the ground to say, Hey, this is a day we're going to, we're going to go out of our way to celebrate. Yep. We don't celebrate it because of being Valentine's day, but it's a good reminder. No, listen, I get that. I get that hundred percent. I would maybe counter that and, and say, not challenge you, but offer up another alternative is do something once a quarter. I know a, a couple that had, I think, three kids and once a month, oh, listen, they, were, they had the means to be able to do this, but once a month, they would have date night and they would go have dinner, get a babysitter for the night, go have dinner and get a hotel room and just, they'd spend a the night out. Um, yeah. That's cool. Once a quarter or once a month, you know, pick up flowers for your wife, set up candles by the bath so she can have a nice relaxing bath. Right? So that's, those are the little things, right? You can insert those things into your life to celebrate the love. Now, mm -hmm. I say that this. Your wife's there listening, right? <laughs> she's not listening. And I don't know that she's going to listen to the episode anyway, but, but yeah. So it's something that. I've done, I don't do it as often as I should. I think I'm going to try to get back to that. There's a lady right outside my building that maybe three days a week, she sells flowers and she's always like mm. selling flowers. And I used to just stop and get my wife flowers. Haven't done that in a long time. So I should get back to it. I do should it tomorrow. practice what I preach. Yeah. I should practice what I preach. But, but yeah, so I, I really believe in if you do it throughout, then Maybe you don't have to do it on Valentine's Day, but then listen, that, that has to be a mutual decision. If yeah, my wife is okay with not celebrating Valentine's Day, if she wasn't okay with that, then you'd be celebrating Valentine's Day. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I, that's absolutely. My wife and I, we've started doing some things like that as well. More, more frequently. We've had a few things we've done through the 10, 11 years we've been together, but doing things more frequently like next month we're going to a comedy show and nice. yeah it, it exactly what you said about your friend your your friends where they would get a babysitter and enjoy themselves for evening i think valentine's day the interesting thing it's less about the it, it, i don't see it as the holiday i see it as the it, it for me it's a consider your partner holy and even though you do things daily that you, sh uh, or, or you, know, you show your love daily in, in, in different ways, right? 
do something maybe out of the ordinary that they would appreciate that you wouldn't, that, that isn't the daily. It also, listen, the benefit of it is that if you do fall out of practice and out of routine with the flowers, the setting the bath for your wife, or the wife is doing something nice for the husband, whatever it is, whatever your routine is, if you fall out of it, you have that one day to bring you back into it where it reminds you like, hey, right today, let's do something nice. I get it. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, my, when my wife and I first got together for me, just my birthday's never really been like a big holiday for me or like a big thing. Like it's a birthday, me neither. Me neither. friends and family. I enjoy hanging out with everyone. Like for me, it's about being with the people that I, that I love or I want to be with and much different with, for her it's celebration, which is completely, that's a different thing. I, I just, and when we first were dating, I didn't get that part and it caused, definitely caused friction. She almost, yeah, she almost, we almost did not have our, our 10 or 11 years ago. <laughs> I know a few couples that are, that are like that where the yeah. one spouse or partner is not a big birthday person and the other one is, mm-hmm. and that usually causes a problem. My wife is probably a bigger person, birthday person than I am. I, m- most people are a bigger birthday person than I am. I'm just not really into celebrating my birthday. Actually, I try not to let most people know my birthday and <laughs> someone that works for me found out it was my 50th and someone found out about it at work, spilled the beans and we were out to lunch and they got you like a cake or something cheesy like yeah, that. It was the person I work for was out to lunch with us oh. and that person said, you know what? I want some Baskin Robbins. I want some ice cream. Is there Baskin Robbins nearby? And I was like, it's just winter time, but yeah, okay. <laughs> Com- completely oblivious. We go on to Baskin Robbins, which is, of course, with the Dunkin' Donuts, because they all are. And we walk in, and he goes to the refrigerator and pulls out this giant ice cream cake. And my body went into a panic. I was like, no, don't. It was a flex. He was letting you know. I said, don't do it. Don't do it. And he got the birthday cake. We took it into the office, into one of the conference rooms. And started calling everyone into the conference room. And people were coming to the conference room like, oh my God, it's someone's birthday. Whose birthday it is? Whose birthday is it? And I was like, I don't know. We're just enjoying cake. (laughs) I I would refuse to tell anybody it was my birthday. Yeah, I don't. I'm okay to celebrate it, but I don't like to really just put it out there and make it a big thing. If like my family, we celebrate my birthday and that's fine. You know, uh, I hate to, again, I, I don't think right, any of my family listen to this, but, um, for the last three or four years, this is the only, the only way I knew it was my birthday is my mother sent me a text message that morning. Oh, wow. Wow. Like. And it, 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 again, I got young kids. I'm going to use that. It's not that I normally don't know the date, but COVID over the last few years, like that's, I'd get a text message like, oh shit. And my wife and I, for the last two years, my parents sent us a text message as well on our anniversary. And we were both like, oh shit, it's our anniversary. Oh yeah. And there's that second we looked at each other. Do you know? She's like, no, I didn't even know. Like, all right, cool. So I, I love that because 
men and the husbands always get the the bad stigma of not remembering the anniversary. Oh, we're the same. We're both the same there. Yeah. But the same with my wife. We both like, we, we remember the anniversary yeah. date, date, but we're like, how many years have we been married? Like it, it takes us a while to do the math. Actually. Yeah. We're hitting 25 years married this year. Congratulations. In June. Yeah. We're talking wow. about that. We're like, wait a minute. It's 25 I years. Think I was, I think I'm seven years. The honest truth is the reason, the only reason I know. So my daughter is, she's got an easy birthday to remember. And I just subtract two years off of that. Yeah. It, it's been, it's been eight, it's eight years this year. For me, it's easy to remember because it's, it's 1999 and, you know, yeah, I'm a big Prince fan. Yeah. So, yeah. Party like it's 1999. <laughs> the other thing, we, we have a, a mutual friend of ours. He's smart. He, he got married on, was it the 31st of the uh, first of the year, New Year. So oh, it makes everything right. easier. You just, you're like, hey, not only am I having a, I have a party every year for my anniversary, but it's very difficult to forget it. How about this? We have a mutual friend who got married on Valentine's Day. Really? Yeah. So Didn't that's, that. that was, that's two in one right there. It's just problem solved. There you go. That's smart. That's brilliant, actually. And it's unfortunate that Valentine's Day is in a cold wintry time of year when most people don't want to have a wedding. So that's, you know what? It's actually, now that you say that, it's, I think. Whoever came up with Valentine's Day would have been much better served making it like June, the warm months. Yeah. Yeah. You make, if they would have made Valentine's Day in June, like June 14th or something around there, the middle of the month, right after school, they would have nailed the market because then everyone would be like, I got to get married on Valentine's Day. Yeah, absolutely. But now my grandmother would hate me for this. Isn't it based on the, uh, one of the saints or something? I, I think it is. I think it yeah. is. I think it is. I'm not very religious or so. Yeah. I don't know. I'm very ignorant when it comes to that stuff. So anyway, dude, it was so funny. This episode went from us laughing to really somber and serious to yeah. brought it back to being really lighthearted. I think it was good. good. Yeah. I'm yeah. yeah. Solid. Start yeah. with hoarding and end with uh, Valentine's Day. Yeah. And we managed to get Charlie Sheen in there. So, hey, that's man, a, that's double bonus Win points. Winning. <laughs> I don't know, man. There was a phase of my life. I definitely bought a t shirt that said Charlie Sheen, Tiger's Blood winning, airbrushed on a street corner in oh, Boston. I'm sure you have one. I'm not surprised. Yeah. Now that I've learned of your obsession with my Charlie wife Sheen. actually made me get rid of that t-shirt. Oh, that's, that's not right. That's not right. Yeah. There's, a line, there's a line you don't cross when you get married. Everyone's got to grow up. And, All right. and Charlie Sheen is the line. <laughs> He's that line. He's the line you don't cross. I just remember the, what is it? The, what, what's the movie he was in where he was the major league with the baseball? Major league. Yeah. Yeah, man. Wild yeah. thing. Yeah. <laughs> All anyway, right. dude. Jeremy, we miss Take you. Take it easy. We'll see you next week. Jeremy, bye. we miss you. We'll see you next week. That wraps it up for this episode. As a reminder, we can be found on LinkedIn, YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and of course our own website, 
SurpriseMultiplayer.com. We love feedback. On any of those platforms, feel free to drop us a line, comment, or if you prefer to email, you can reach us at bantercrew at surprisemultiplayer.com. Until next time, keep exploring and stay curious. Thanks for listening.